Y'all, it has been a week, it's been a year, a year since the pandemic has started. We just passed that threshold this past week, and I want to share a few things that you may or may not know. Normally, when chaos strikes, character is revealed. I don't know if you've heard that, but when something goes array, then it really reveals what's underneath all of that, like the foundation. And let me just brag on you for a little bit, because we've gone through some difficult things, but Cypress Creek Church, you have persevered. You've thrived through this year. There's been heartache. There's been trouble. We've suffered quite a bit, but listen, we have stuck together and we have gathered in different ways and we have continued to spur one another on toward love and good deeds and we have grown as a family, numerically, financial. We are just blessed and that is because of Jesus and because of your responding to his faithfulness. So way to go, Cypress Creek Church, and let's keep going. Now, I'm gonna talk today. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and I think a lot of people knew what I was going to talk about, and so they decided to go on a trip in in spring break. We're going to talk about retaliation and revenge this morning. So some of you are like, I think I have a kid, and I'm going to go out my way. But what I love about these verses that Jesus is teaching us is not only is he living, uh, teaching us how to live inside out, from our heart out, but he's also flipped things upside down. So let's review for a little bit before we get into the meat of the message. We're in Matthew chapter five. That's when Jesus starts this best sermon ever. 2,000 words, 112 verses, three chapters long. Today, we've been in this series for about five weeks and we're only completing chapter one or chapter five today. We got two more to go. But we're learning how to live a life Jesus's way, how to build our life his way versus our way. And, and we looked at the thesis of this section. We've looked at anger. We've looked at lust and sexual purity. We've looked at the integrity of our word. Today, we'll talk about retaliation and revenge. But Matthew 5.20 is the thesis statement. Sean read this last week. I read it the week prior. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is setting the bar super high and possibly high. In fact, our righteousness will not surpass that of these incredibly zealous Pharisees, this, this, this group of religious elite that literally lived by every letter of the law. Every second of every day, they obsessed over following Jesus. See, he's calling us to live differently. He's calling us, instead of just changing our behavior, to change our hearts. And so I showed you this concentric circle a few weeks ago because when our hearts change, then we see that our mind, we start thinking differently. And when we start thinking differently, our life looks different. Our souls change. And when our lives looked different, our relationships change. So can we put that concentric circle up Uh, Terry, please, there you go. Our relationships change. So this models Luke chapter 10 when Jesus tells us the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, your body, and love your neighbor as uh, as yourself and love the Lord with all your strength. So Jesus is teaching us how to do this by tackling these very difficult topics. Now, end of Matthew 5, we're we're gonna get there in a little bit, but first I wanna frame 
context here because we have some real chill people. I'm looking at a couple of you guys that I know are just super chill all the time. Like when things are good, chill. When things are not good and intention grows, chill. And then there's others of us that even when things are chill, we're like, it's too chill. We got to you know, crank it up. We got to liven up this place, you know? If, if, if things are too good, I'm just going to insert a little bit of drama just to stir the pot a little bit. And so we have the whole spectrum. And then there's others of you that just freeze. When, when, when there's tension and when there's aggression, it's like, mm, I'm, I don't even want to be here. Don't call on me. Don't talk to me. Just freeze. Okay. So wherever you are, your blood boils for something. I guarantee you, there's something that just gets you. Mm. So I want you to think about a person, a life season, a circumstance where you have just felt aggression come up. I would bet that you are responding to some sort of aggression. There is aggression coming towards us and we get to respond to how the aggressor is, is doing. So this, that's the context of what Jesus is saying here. I lived in the Netherlands for a whole year. I spent my third year of university in The Hague, um, the Netherlands, and it was a really cool year, a lot of cool stuff, and I rode my bike a ton. So if you don't know anything about the Dutch, they love riding Bikes. Even if they don't love it, they have to because it's basically the only mode of transportation from getting from A to B. They have these bike lanes with bike traffic lights. They have bike overpasses to get from this city to that city, like one of those. I mean, it is awesome. There are more bikes in the Netherlands than people. Aren't you glad you came this morning to learn this? And so I'm riding my bike on the bike path. And here's the thing. If you're a pedestrian, and you get on a bike path here in the United States, if you're a pedestrian, you get on a bike path or the road, if you like lunge yourself, you can be at fault as the pedestrian. In the Netherlands, nope. If you're a pedestrian, you get into a bike path, it is the pedestrian's fault. Don't mess with the bike. So I'm like, I'm on the bike path and then there is this moped that's on the bike lane. Big no-no. Moped belongs on the road, fast motorized vehicle, or maybe not fast, but you know, faster than a bike, at least a bike that some of us can pedal. And so on, on the bike path, and I think I cut them off or something. I didn't see them because they're going so fast. Well, there wasn't one guy on this moped. There were two. And I upset these guys. They were pretty aggressive. And so they start cussing up a storm, and I, 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 I guess it was cussing because I really don't know any Dutch cuss words, and so I'm like, I don't speak the language, so I'm good, and so I'm just, no problem. Well, then homeboy in the back kicks my back tire. Mm. I just decide to stay, you know, stay the course. Has, has anything like that ever happened to you where you just feel like, are you serious right now? Are you, you picking on me? Well, that's the context of how I want us to, to start reading these verses. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Here we are. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth 
for a tooth. So Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. Jesus is quoting the beginning part of the Bible, the first five books. And what he's saying is that these are actually very fair laws. So a tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye means that the punishment matches the, the aggression or, or, or the, 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 the crime. Parents, this is a really good thing for us. Sometimes I want to overreact to a little deal just because, you know, oh, my kids are not doing what I'm, what I'm asking them to do. And, and God's actually given us a really fair way to deal with little things. If you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Here's the thing. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we think that it's really harsh. We think that it's really uh, violent and, and kind of, you know, why would God even say that? Compared to other ancient texts of the time, Old Testament time, the Bible is like a fairy tale. These are just and fair laws. Law of Hammurabi is an example. I'll let you read that on your own. That was written around the same time period as this. So what God is saying, these are actually really good rules for society. But Jesus brings it a step further. Jesus says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. It's really important that we look at the one who is evil and and know this. Evil is present in this world. People are not evil, but can be overcome by evil. We know that scripture teaches us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against people. It's spiritual. It's it's in the heavenly realms. And one of the biggest reasons why people are overcome by evil is because they are really hurt. They have Wounds. We, we have these things that happen to us that impact us in such a way that we act then to hurt others, sometimes in the very same way that others have hurt us. See, hurting people hurt people. And so when we look at do not resist the one who is evil, let's remember that this is not just saying someone that is inherently evil, although that can happen, but it means someone that's wanting to do you harm. And oftentimes, again, that's just because we are hurt. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Okay, so this is really cool. I learned this this week. Our slaps go like this. So if you've ever slapped somebody like this, let me see your hand. I'm just kidding. But our our slaps go like this. This slap? It's the right cheek. And so if I had somebody in front of me, their right cheek would be this way. So this would be their left cheek. We're talking about a Novak Djokovic backhand to the face. Let me tell you the rest of the story of this bike deal. It didn't just end with him kicking my bike. Once they saw that I wasn't reacting, the guy actually spit in my face. I don't know if you've ever been spat on, I hope not, but it's the most humiliating, degrading feeling ever. And I'll confess, because we're at church, the only reason why I didn't respond at that point was because there were two of them in one of me. And so I knew I didn't stand a chance unless I used my bike creatively. But anyway, I was like, what? And so I read this and, and, and Jesus is telling me to turn the other cheek when you're that humiliated. Now, I, have you ever reacted in anger? 
and actually slapped somebody back or hit them with a bigger, you know, if they hit you with something, you'd throw a grenade and just try to blow a situation up. If so, and I have, I know, but how has that worked out for you? It rarely, if ever, works out the way we want it to. And let me just clarify these verses because uh, we're going to look at five different scenes. This is the first one. Slap is scene one of five that we're going to look at this morning. Jesus is speaking to an individual response. So he's not saying do away with law enforcement. He's not saying that order is bad. No, that's why he gave us tooth for tooth and eye for eye. But what he's saying is that that's not stopping evil from winning. It's not. We have rules and then we enforce those rules, but that doesn't stop or change the world. See, these verses have taught me three things. Three things. They're not going to be on your screen. The first is that Jesus is for us. And you may think, well, if Jesus is for me, then wouldn't want him to like slap him in the back. Like if he's for me, I need to defend myself. I'm going to get to that in a second. The second is that Jesus is with us. He's always with us. So even in that moment, in that humiliating moment, man, he is with, he was with me and he is with us anytime that we have something like that happen to us. But here's the third thing and here's where this really falls under. Jesus wants to change us. See, many times we just think of Jesus as, okay, I know that God is for me and I know that God is with me and that's enough to make me feel good and have me enjoy relationship with, with, with God. Well, that's great. But we can't miss this third part that Jesus wants to change us. Because when he changes the insides, that's gonna change our behavior. And when we change our behavior, then that changes the world. We're showing people a different way to live. Oftentimes when we are in those circumstances, we are way more concerned about winning the argument and we need to remember what God's mission is. It's really not fairness. And it's really not just you being right in that moment. He's gonna take care of that later on when he comes back and when he judges all things. That's God's job. He's, he's the judge. He's the ruler, not you or me. What he wants us to do is be on mission. And that is love that person the way that God loved us. That's his mission. And so this is scene one, slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Second scene, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So the tunic is your shirt. So this is a necessity. We all need a shirt and the cloak is your coat. And so if someone is suing you, go ahead and give them everything. Why? Well, because we're not the only ones that need basic necessities. And if someone's suing you, then there's the chance that they may need it. And if it was up to me, I'd been like, okay, thank you, Jesus. I'm good. Like I have homework for the rest of my life, but he keeps on going. Let's read verse 41 and look at this third scene. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So this isn't, you know, recreational running like we do today where you go a mile and then you want to break your PR. And so you go more miles, although I hope, really, really hope you get PRs this week and in your running. And by the way, running is a great thing that you can do for your body. Okay, that's not this message. What this is talking about 
is Roman soldiers in that time carried big, heavy backpacks. And they would call out a civilian, and, and a, a, a Jewish person. Romans are not Jewish, so, so they were, the Jewish people were oppressed then. And so they would literally have the authority to tell the Jewish person, hey, I don't want to carry this anymore. You carry it with me. And they were obliged to do it. Why? Well, because they're the Roman soldier. They're going to put you to jail. They're going to mistreat you. And so what Jesus is saying here is, if they ask you to go one mile, go the extra mile. That's intense, y'all. I don't know about you, but that's really challenging for me. But I, I know that when Jesus said this, it was personal to him. See, the Roman soldiers, when Jesus was being crucified, when he was, before he was crucified, when he was carrying the cross to be crucified, they sent a man named Simon. And he wasn't a Jew, he was Cyrene. And he carried the cross for Jesus and helped Jesus carry the burden of the cross. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. That's the third scene. Let's go to the fourth scene. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Are you kidding me? Does this mean I have to give to anybody that borrows? Anybody lent a book before? Anybody? Anybody gotten it back? I'm still looking for my mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, if some of you have it out there as a hard copy. They don't make it in, in that one format. So anyway, I think I know who has it, but I'll tell you later. There's an old saying that goes, if you lend something, you may lose it, but not if you give it. Let's hold everything loosely. It's not ours to begin with. It was given to us by God. And if someone needs something that we have, then what Jesus is saying, hey, I've given you me. We have him. So give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse to the one who would borrow from you. See, uh, uh, scene five, you heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is verse 43. So this is not in uh, this is not a scripture in the word of God. What this is, is what's happened. See, Leviticus 19.18 says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. So we're learning here in the Torah that God said from the beginning, love your neighbor. This is first five books. So love your, love your neighbor. Got it. So where did the hate your enemy come from? Glad you asked. What ended up happening was that we just huddled up. We huddle up to the people that are for us, with the people that are for us. And it's not a bad thing, right? God is for us. God is with us. We need to huddle up with safe people, with people that really know us and, and people that we know are for us, healthy people. But there's a lost world that needs us because we know that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have that example from God himself. He did not wait for us to come to him, for him to go to the cross for us while we were still sinners. God loved us first. Ben was preaching before I got a chance to preach that this morning. He loved us first. And he gave his life up for us and was patient. One of my favorite verses is that it is his kindness 
that leads us to repentance, not his shame, not his guilt. If you feel shame, that's not God, that's your sin telling you that there's more. There's more to life than living a life in your own terms, defining what good and evil is for yourself. When, when you live for Jesus, man, there's freedom there. And we know that God allowed us to be his friends way before we deserved it. We never deserve it, but he loved us first. So give to the one who begs from you and do not, oh, nope, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So Leviticus said this, but we huddled up and we just hung out with people that, 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 that like us, that love us. Here you go. But Jesus, I say to you, verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. So Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. So that's the reputation that we have to keep as his children here on earth. We have to bear his image and love the way that he loves. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. These verses just speak to the fact that life is unfair. God gives common grace. He's not going to just punish the wicked and bless the good. No, this world is temporary. We're just passing through. Good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. That's just the way it is. But there needs to be a difference and he's calling us to be the difference. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do you, not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. The point is that there's a pattern in this world. It's like, uh, anybody been in Niagara Falls? Well, there's a, there's a a place way, way far away from Niagara Falls that does not sound like, it's just streams, it's a, it's a, it's a current, it's flowing, but it's peaceful. And that's the world. That's the way of the world. Niagara Falls is coming. When we follow the ways and the patterns of this world, we're gonna end up in no good land. And so what Jesus is saying is that he needs people that know what that's like to say, hey, y'all, you need to get out of this because it's, you're not gonna end up in a good place. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be reversing the pattern of the world by responding to aggression in this way. A couple of weeks ago, our prayer pastor Rhonda told me a story and then we actually talked about it more on the, on the podcast. So after every message, we release a podcast that goes further into the message, talks a lot about application. Shameless plug for the podcast. If you haven't listened to the podcast, listen to the podcast. It's uh, released around Tuesdays of every week. Anyway, she told a story about someone that was incredibly rude to her. I'm talking like exorbitantly rude. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm thinking the same thing. Who on earth could be rude to our own prayer pastor, Rhonda Patterson? Obviously, they didn't know her, and they didn't. It was a stranger. And she told me something that has incredibly uh, summarized what Jesus is teaching us here. 
and this is just my paraphrase, but she said that she was filled with so much, you know, tension, but then she realized that lady that was just yelling all sorts of profanity, just looked aggressive, was just angry. There was nobody that was praying for her. She was alone. She was hurt. She was also abandoned. And I'm thinking, when we meet people that are aggressive in this way, do we turn and see the situation and the person the way that God did? Rhonda got it. And when she shared that to me, I'm like, thank you. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. It reminds me of uh, the foster care system. I don't know if you know much about the foster care system, but in the foster care system, there are, there's a team that surrounds the foster child. There's a legal team. There's a CASA volunteer. There is their social worker. There's the foster parents. There's a whole team that advocate for the best, for, for the child's best interest. And what God is looking for, I guarantee you in the life of those that are incredibly angry and mean is he's looking for advocates in the name of Jesus to be light in their world and show them a different way. Because again, our world is going this way. And Oh, there's no better, there's no other place where we've seen that more in the last year than in the news and social media. Anybody with me? And you know, I think that that's been interesting because if we actually said the things we say on social media to people's faces, we would have been slapped 10 months ago, you know? But the problem is, is we hide behind these screens and, and we just roll into this ball of anger and division and, and hatred. And Jesus is saying, y'all, Stop, stop. We're all hurting people that need him. There's a guy named Saul. And when Jesus came, he died, he rose again, and, and he sent this Holy Spirit down. The, the, the disciples started a movement. They started the church. And, and it was going crazy. I mean, people were saying yes to Jesus left and right. And there was this one guy who hated Christians more than any other person. It was this guy named Saul. He was persecuting them. He was being aggressive towards them. And then something happened. He encountered Jesus and everything changed. He realized that this was not about religion, that this was not about some sort of tradition, that it wasn't even anything that was trying to uh, uh, intimidate or change Jewish ways. It was meant to revolutionize people's hearts, every person's heart. Saul became Paul, and Paul wrote most of our New Testament, and he summarized all that Jesus is saying beautifully in Romans chapter 12. So if you turn to Romans chapter 12, I want to read this, share a story, and we're done. Paul writes, bless those who persecute you. Keep in mind, he persecuted Christians. 
Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not pay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The last verse in Matthew 5 is this. This is the summary of this first or second section on the Sermon on the Mount. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. High bar, and I have bad news and good news. Bad news is we're not going to get there. (laughs) None of us. The good news is we don't have to. We don't have to get to perfection. What we have to do is pursue it, because there's only one perfect one, Jesus Christ. And we've said this many times in this room, we are a group of imperfect people that follow the only perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. As we pursue him, we will become more perfect. We won't ever be perfect this side of heaven, but we will be more perfect. And again, God is reversing the pattern of this world by asking us to act in this way. So What do we do? Let's do three things. The first is survey. Ask yourself, do I tend to escalate situations when when I'm faced with aggression or when I'm faced with tension? uh, Is my tendency to escalate? The second is to demo my desire, uh, demo. So demolish my desire to get even and win the argument and ask God to rebuild, to replace that with his desire to win the individual for his glory. If we do that, Cypress Creek Church, it's going to be awesome. Our valley, our county, our state, our country and world is going to know Jesus. There is a story about a missionary. I know a lot of you have heard about him. His name is Jim Elliott, and I love to close with this story. Worship team, you can come back. Um, Jim was a guy who was in Portland, Oregon. He grew up in the um, 40s, and he heard of a lot of missionaries talking about the adventure of giving up your life to tell other people about Jesus. And so he had these people in Ecuador, the Alcas. He had them on his heart. He moved to Ecuador. He learned the language, and he was on the ground for five days wanting to meet this tribe that has never heard the name of Jesus. They have never, ever, ever met somebody like them And then this happened. I'm going to read this short paragraph. Finally, on day six, two Alka women walked out of the jungle. Jim and Pete, who was another missionary, excitedly jumped into the river and waded over to them. As they got closer, these women did not appear friendly. Jim and Pete almost immediately heard a terrifying cry behind them. As they turned, they saw a group of Alka warriors with their spears raised, ready to throw. Jim Elliott reached for the gun in his pocket. He had to decide instantly if he should use it, but he knew he couldn't. Each of the missionaries had promised they would not kill an Alka who did not know Jesus to save himself from being killed. Within seconds, the Alka warriors threw their spears, killing the missionaries. Now, 
I studied international studies. That's what I was doing in the Netherlands. And we learned this in a class called International Development. It's, it's a very controversial question. Does change need to happen in a culture for development to happen? See, we don't want to mess with anybody's culture. And a lot of my classmates and a lot of professors I know will say that Jim Elliott died in vain. In fact, he was arrogant to try to impose his Western ways on them. But let me tell you something. There is nothing better for a culture than Jesus. Nothing more powerful revolutionary than Jesus. And he had a choice in that moment whether he was going to retaliate or whether he was literally going to be killed. And he was martyred. And the story is beautiful. His wife, Elizabeth, and others actually went back to the Alka tribe many years later and they saw people come to know Jesus. They saw the tribe start to change from the inside out as they shared the hope of Jesus. They told them of this new way to live and build their life. Cypress Creek Church, what would happen if we responded this way? We're a group of a few hundred people in this valley and you can say, well, that's not gonna change the world. Uh Uh-uh, it will. Why? Because it started with one in Jesus. It started with, then it continued on with 12 and it went on and here we are. So we get to change the world as Jesus changes 